Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Pray with me. God of justice, mercy, and truth, we gather in your presence, aware of it in all creation, where the warmth of the sun, the strength of the wind, the stability of the earth all remind us of your constant love and your power to change and challenge our lives. God of justice, mercy, and truth, we gather in your presence, aware that in our world there is one law for the rich and one law for the poor, that the scales are weighted against many of our sisters and brothers. God of justice, mercy, and truth, we gather in your presence, aware of our own lives, individually and in community, where they measure up, where they fall short, where they are out of kilter. Help us to be true to ourselves, true to our history, true to our own story, true to you. Amen. Good morning, my beloved friends, and welcome back to our Lenten journey. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, you know that we've been framing our conversation around the church-wide initiative called Becoming Beloved Community. Presented to our denomination in 2017, the Becoming Beloved Community vision frames a path for Episcopalians to address issues of racial injustice and grow as communities of reconcilers, justice makers, and healers who all share a passion for realizing God's dream of a day when all, and we mean all people, are seen and valued, cherished and respected. We have chosen to integrate this initiative into a sermon series, underscoring this is not a curriculum that can ever be final and complete, nor is it a seasonal program to be implemented once and then put away on a shelf. No, this is part of a long-term commitment, a lifetime commitment for us individually and for our community of faith. It is a journey that some of us have been on for a long time. Others are new and just getting started. All are not only welcome and wanted, but I want to underscore this morning that all of us, every single one of us is needed on this journey. My prayer is that we will graft this work of racial healing, reconciliation, and justice into our hearts as a long-term commitment to who and how we live out our lives as followers of Jesus. This week, we marked the one-year anniversary of March 11, 2020, the day when COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. Over the past 12 months, we have lived through some tragically devastating consequences. In addition to grieving the loss of over 500,000 lives in the United States, we have witnessed and experienced firsthand the ripple effect of the unraveling of economic stability for so many. 
healthcare, housing, employment, education, it is hard to think of an area of our common life that has not suffered. And as if that wasn't enough, then May 25th, 2020, will be another day burned into our hearts as we learned of the violent and inexcusable death of George Floyd. When held up side by side, it seems to me as if Floyd's repetitive words, I can't breathe, have created an agonizing description of this entire past year. In short, whether through a deadly virus that affects the respiratory system or the revelation of racism as America's original and still most pernicious sin, we are living through not one, but two significant pandemics, both equally demanding our full attention. Looked at through the lens of the church and the claims of the gospel, these two pandemics seem to converge. The confluence of the pandemic of white supremacy and this deadly virus together exposes a society suffocating chronically, tragically, deprived of the necessary oxygen of common purpose. Learning to breathe again together will take more, not less work. And it is now the time to stop ourselves from backing away, but instead moving forward and addressing both of these pandemics in the ways that we can. So thank you for staying together during this challenging and often heartbreaking season. We will persevere with God's help and I pray come out on the other side, able to breathe deeply together again, once we have done more of the essential work that is still required. The Becoming Beloved Community Framework encourages us to speak the truth in love, to name those things and places that have kept us divided in our hearts and in the world around us. One way it suggests to do that is to incorporate the practice of storytelling into all of our gatherings, to invite and share more and more stories in wider and wider circles, in order to hear and learn about faith and race and some of our differences. For the divine is revealed in our lived experience, and often hearts can break open and then be healed when we dare to share from some of those vulnerable places. So in just a little bit, we will listen to one of those stories together. Each week during this series, we have linked our reflections to one of our five promises that we make at the time of our baptism. Together, they invite and shape a path for us to live as followers of Christ. Today, we describe this part of our journey to becoming beloved community as practicing the way of love. And our word for the day is respect. Our fourth baptismal promise asks, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Today, we are encouraged to ask ourselves, how will we grow as reconcilers, healers, and justice bearers? What activities, practices, learning, and experiences would transform us? And how will we share stories and grow relationships?
Over the years, this baptismal promise has formed the core of my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It keeps us from being at the center of our own lives, and instead, it demands that we turn our hearts towards others as a normative posture. In other words, it helps reinforce what the gospel writer of John spent his whole gospel trying to compel us to believe. Do you remember what we said was John's spiritual agenda when we met his text last week? Last week, we unpacked the nature of this gospel writer and his laser-like focus on two dominant themes. No matter where you look in the text, you are sure to find images and symbols, poetry and stories, compelling us to embrace the nature of Jesus's divinity and to adopt the gospel mandate to love one another. This is what today's baptismal promise is asking. Will you do all you can every day to see the best in others as well as in yourself? Sounds simple enough, but I can tell you it's not simple for me. Just like the gospel text we are offered by John today, it can get so complicated so quickly, even with the best of intentions. Today's passage shares the last part of a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Just a few verses earlier, Nicodemus visits Jesus at night for fear of being seen by others in order to question his divinity and to try to understand Jesus's relationship to God. Through this exchange, John is able to lift up one of his two ever-present themes, in this case, highlighting Jesus as God in Christ. We don't hear about Nicodemus in our reading today because Christ's light seems to be the thrust of this section. And just like the serpent in the reference to the numbers reading, the light of Christ brings new life through death. For some of us now, this complicates or confuses what I suspect we want to have made clear. What does that truly mean, and how does that help us on our journey? The sacrificial nature of Jesus' death can be a stumbling block for many. I get it. Perhaps another way to approach a faithful understanding of the text is to think more about the magnitude of the love being described by John. Picture this. Try to get yourself to contemplate an indescribable love beyond your wildest comprehension. Then from that place, go one step even, even further, and then you can be guaranteed that you're starting to head in the right direction. And while I do not deny the absolute sheer pain of John's verse 316 that has now become infamous on tattoos and bumper stickers and t-shirts and hats and billboards and has done so much damage and made so many people uncomfortable, I understand all of that still. I am willing to stay focused on the kind of love we're trying to understand, believing the narrative of God's love for humanity through Jesus can and does shape and form a path that we strive to live on, a path 
that asks us to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourself. This is the essence of Christian, the Christian walk and our Christian identity. Today I want to introduce another inspiring voice and spirit to help us on our journey practicing the way of love. Rather than tell you too much about her up front, as I have with the other beautiful voices I have invited into this series, I want us to listen to her stories first. Here is Evelyn Parker. What, what for me, to, uh, honoring the body is to, uh, to allow the Spirit of God to dwell within this God-given tangible flesh. So honoring the body allows the Spirit to indwell, to guide, to partner with, to lead into truth, to lead into abundance of life. This very fleshy, feely, clammy, tangible gift that God has given us. It was not until I was asked to uh, serve communion one Sunday that uh, I was confronted in a very transformative way with, um, with my homophobia. Uh, I would uh, greet people in the uh, narthex, shake their hands, and before going into the sanctuary, I'd go wash my hands. And no one knew, uh, but I was washing off the stain of touching a homophobic, I mean, a, a lesbian or gay person. Uh, until that Sunday, I was asked to um, serve communion. I went into uh, the bathroom, then rushed into the sanctuary, took my place, and went up to give communion. And I had uh, gotten into this ritual of looking into the eyes of the individual as I gave the bread or gave the uh, pass the wine and through intention and this time I was breaking the bread and pressing it into the palms of the person's hands and I looked up into the eyes of this man who had full-blown AIDS and I said the body of Christ broken for you and at that moment God said to me would you deny me? And I got through the words, the body of Christ broken for you, but as I moved to the next persons in that semicircle, I was weeping because I was so busted uh, as well as convicted. And uh, it really gave me pause and I started to think about how I had been, you know, a hypocrite, how I had been a phony um, with my practices of being homophobic. And uh, it was at that moment that I began to transition out through not only the way I thought about people I was in relationship with and also um, persons that I had worked with there in the church and, and how I would embrace all God's people, uh, regardless of, of their present circumstance, uh, regardless of how they were created. They were created by God, and that was the most important thing. I never thought that I would not fear death, 
and um, that was not an issue at the time. Um, uh, can you imagine a 200 and probably 20 pound man going down to about 130 and he was five, three and a half. And um, uh, although his appearance was unfamiliar with to me, uh, that is in terms of what I grew up with uh, and all the pictures I had and everything, um, caring for him, uh, put aside all those fears that I had presupposed that I would have about someone who was making transition from death into life. Um, and it's interesting I said that, <laughs> like that. But nonetheless, he, um, I, I, I didn't feel, af I wasn't afraid to touch him. I wasn't afraid. I was embarrassed to wash his body because a daughter doesn't wash a grown father's body where he has personal parts and, uh, I mean, although he's washed my body when I was a baby or a, a long, young child, but uh, that's just a no-no. But um, I, I moved beyond that with a little urging from uh, family members. If you don't do this, we are. And I was not going to let someone care for his body at that point. I had to just put all that aside. So fear and uh, this, you know, this traditional shame that kind of comes with it. You don't do that. When I remembered his liveliness and how much he enjoyed life, and he was in the room that he would always dress in on Sunday mornings. I mean, my dad had spit shine shoes. I mean, they shined and Stacy Adams black shoes. And he had his uh, shirt and his selection of ties that he was going to get ready to wear to church and whatever suit that he was going to wear. So it was at that point that I realized that his life and what he, you know, and what he enjoyed doing and uh, was uh, dressing up particularly for church. And that was kind of the connecting point that said, okay, get on with it. And it was so interesting that after uh, I finished bathing his body and then powdering him down and putting on clean undergarments, he relaxed. And it was not, it was probably within 15 minutes after that that he made the transition. So <laughs> that's what I thought. Well, and, and then my sister-in-law said, Pop just wanted to be clean. I said, yeah, you know, he was always a shop dresser. <laughs> Thank you, Evelyn Parker. I wanted us to listen to her poignant stories today without knowing anything about her first, in hopes that we might be singularly focused and quickly drawn in by her candid spirit. These two compelling stories, first about offering communion to a man with full-blown AIDS and then caring for her dying father, have left a deep impression on me. It has got me thinking about similar times in my own life, the stories that I would describe as times when I too have been, as she has said, both busted and convicted. Where are the places? And when are the times you have chosen, or a time that has maybe chosen you, to show you a kind of love and respect that you might not have thought was possible? When has what you profess to be your truth confronted you? When have you been busted? And has that helped you rethink who you want to be in the world every day? 
Oh, and just a final note, in case you're interested, Dr. Evelyn Parker has her PhD in religious and theological studies with an interdisciplinary emphasis in Christian education, womanist approaches to religion and society, and education and public policy. She is a prolific author and editor of numerous books focused on the challenges of young black females in urban contexts. Her most recent book from 2017 is titled Between Sisters, Emancipatory Hope Out of Tragic Relationships, and it focuses on black, white, mixed-race young women and their troubling relationships with women and girls of all ethnicities, providing a process towards emancipatory hope through forgiveness, fortitude, and freedom. My friends, I want to end this morning with a poem by Hebrew poet Yehuda Amicha. It is my charge to all of us this day to courageously keep ourselves willing to be busted and convicted, to push back whenever racist patterns and biases reveal their ugly heads in our lives and in the world around us, to listen with expansive hearts to the language and lived experience of others as they describe their walk with Christ, and to learn and lead, not with certainty, but with curiosity and humility. And may all of it, may all of this continue to carry us through this season of Lenten reflection, leading us to the foot of the cross, and then, by the grace of God, to Easter morning. From the place where we are right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow. And a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Traveling mercies, my friends. May it be so.